Major Lindsay and Africa presents Bouncing Back, conversations about resilience for lawyers. Welcome to Bouncing Back, Resilience for Lawyers. This podcast is brought to you by Major Lindsay and Africa, the global leader in legal search and consulting. I'm your host, Rebecca Glasser. I'm a managing director in the associate practice group at Major Lindsay and Africa. In this podcast, you'll hear me speak to successful professionals about the hiccups, bumps, bruises, and setbacks they've experienced in their careers and personal lives. And you'll learn how they ultimately bounce back from those experiences to thrive. Today, my guest is Justice Leah Ward Sears, former Chief Justice of the Georgia Supreme Court. In 1992, after four years as a Fulton County Superior Court judge, and at only 36 years old, she became the first woman and youngest justice appointed to the Supreme Court of Georgia. In 2005, she was elected by her peers as as Chief Justice, becoming the first African-American woman to serve as Chief Justice of any state Supreme Court in the United States. After her term as Chief Justice ended, Justice Sears entered private practice. She is currently a partner at the Atlanta-based firm of Smith, Gambrell, and Russell, where her practice focuses on complex litigation and appellate work. Justice Sears received her undergraduate degree from Cornell University, her JD from Emory University School of Law, and received a Master's of Laws from the University of Virginia Law School. Justice Sears is a member of Alpha Kappa Alpha Sorority and the Quill and Dagger Society. She holds honorary degrees from Morehouse College, Atlanta University, LaGrange College, Piedmont College, and Spelman College. She serves serves or has served on the Board of Trustees for Emory University, the Carter Center, the Oakland Cemetery Foundation, the Georgia Historical Society, and the Boy Scouts of America Atlanta Area Council. Justice Sears, thank you so much for being my guest today. Oh, thank you so much, Rebecca. I appreciate it. Um, Well, I'm excited to have you here. I know our listening audience is going to get a lot out of this. Um, The way I wanted to start In a prior conversation, you had mentioned to me that one of the profound events that shaped your life um, was your divorce from your first husband. Uh, Tell me a little bit more about that experience. Well, I mean, it was, uh, you know, I had had a a lifetime of, I mean, my life as a younger person wasn't necessarily easy, uh, you know, because I grew up, born in 1955 and uh, I I had to live through or live through the whole civil rights struggle, at least the first, one of the first civil rights struggles, not the first. And then the women's movement, you know, so, and being an African-American woman, I had to kind of struggle to get along, but I'd never experienced a personal failure like that. I had, uh, and that's what I deemed it at the time. I was got married at 20 years old and then uh, had two children and then by 40 the marriage was unraveling and I divorced. I actually divorced within a year or two of getting to the Georgia Supreme Court. So while I was a young, the youngest justice on the court, I ended up being a single mom for a few years until I remarried. Uh, I mean, I wasn't a single mom and to the extent that my uh, ex-husband was out of my children's life. He he never was, but uh, you know, 
was a profound failure in a, in a life where I thought if you just work hard, you can make anything go. And I realize that that's just not the case. Right, right. And and let's see, there's so much to unpack here. You know, yeah, it was. I, think, I, I think as women, um, and you can please correct me if you disagree, um, we tend to personalize things that are not always our fault. <laughs> that's a societal I, I, condi conditioning, right? That's, I think that's probably uh, the case. I don't know if it's a woman's thing, but it's definitely, I've seen more women do it, and it's definitely something I do. You know, if I can't, yes, yes. if I'm not successful at it, uh, it's not, it's because I didn't work hard or I didn't do something right. And that, that hasn't necessarily, you know, now that I'm a little older, I can see that there are sometimes forces that, uh, you know, you have to step aside from or do things a different way. And, uh, yes. uh, you know, I mean, I, I, you know, I actually thought, Rebecca, that some of the discrimination, a lot of the discrimination I felt uh, coming along was because I wasn't a good person or, you know, I didn't fit the norm, whatever the norm was. And I just couldn't see that it was just racism or sexism, that kind of thing. I, I, uh, I don't do that as much as I used to. And I'm kind of uh, grappling now with the fact that I may have wasted a lot of emotional energy uh, trying to fix myself when it was really other people or things or organizations or systems that needed to be fixed. Absolutely. And you were, you know, this is interesting to me for a bunch of different reasons, but, you know, society, you grew, you grew up or spent a large chunk of your formative years in Savannah, Georgia, right. um, and, you know, in the Southeast. Um, you know, we all sort of understand the history of, of, of the Southeast and segregation and the civil rights movement and, and so many other things. And it, it's interesting because it's like you're an adult at this point, right? You're incredibly successful in your career. You have two beautiful children. Um, and the divorce, of course, understandably so, feels like a failure. Um, and you, uh, for you know, good reason at that time, kind of personalized it and I and I um, as a failure and you know I'm wondering um, you know at what point or what was it that helped you or what things it might have been more than one thing kind of helped you realize um, that there were some forces greater than you that were impacting your life in these um, you know, nefarious ways and, and made things very hard um, and more difficult um, than for someone who wasn't a minoritized person? Oh, oh, that's a very good question. Um, it just took time and knowledge. You know, I never wanted to be a victim of, and, you know, I never, I think part of my problem was I didn't want to be a victim. And maybe part of my problem was I thought I could control everything by just work, 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 work change this or change that. And, 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 you know, and I've been very successful uh, work, work, working and changing this and changing that and bending here and bending there. Uh, and, and it maybe it was because I had been so successful that I thought anything can be done. Like that. You know, you can do anything. And, right. you know, yeah. And, and uh, so it took some maturity 
and some therapy and some good friends and a new marriage and, and, you know, just time, you know, but a lot of maturity. I'm 65 now, so I've, I've had a chance to look back and, and, and all of that to know that you can't fix everything. Uh, yeah. My yeah. father died at, when I was 32, you know, 30, yeah, I was 32 years old. He was 62. And when I found out he had renal cancer, uh, I was just 32 now. I thought, well, you know, a Superior Court judge, I, I'd just gone on the Superior Court bench. I was able to do that, which was like at that time, at 32, black female, female, that was just unheard of. So I'll fix my father's cancer. And that, that, you know, that I couldn't do, you know, that was out of my hands. That was, right. you know, you can't right. control. Yeah. Right. You can't fix everything. And so, you know, I'm married to a man now who keeps uh, emphasizing that, you know, it's not, this is not yours to fix. This is, this is just how things are and all that. And I, I, I understand that more clearly. It's actually a more powerful way of being. And, you know, the young, yeah, yeah. young people go, uh, coming along now, I hope they understand that faster because they're going to, there are, there is going to be suffering in life. There, uh, there are going to be recessions. There are going to be ups and downs and all of that kind of thing. And uh, uh, you will rebound from it. But, and, and it's not your fault. Yes. Yeah. And, and so, if I were to summarize what you're saying, if I'm hearing you correctly, you know, it's one learning to sort of control the controllables and there are going to be things in life, whether it's a divorce that requires two people to be um, involved in that relationship. And if just one of them or both of them are, you know, have differences and, and need to go their separate ways, that's not necessarily the fault of one person per se. And then, you know, what if it's illness um, or it's economic disaster worldwide, um, or if it's a coronavirus, um, these are things that we cannot fix as individuals. And it sounds to me like, you know, you're telling to our, telling our listening audience, the young lawyers in the audience, um, control the controllables, right? Control exactly. what you can control. Right. Yeah. I mean, really, really, Rebecca, work hard to control the controllables because there are going to be, this is what I tell my children who aren't children if they're 37 and 34, but I tell them work hard to control what you can control because there are going to be uncontrollables that you can't control. So if you're, uh, uh, and you will have those. So if you are a mess because you messed yourself up and then you've got the, a pandemic and all, you know, that kind of thing, then uh, I mean, you've got to do the best you can with what you can and then let the other chips fall where they may. And you'll be better off if you've done, done your homework controlling the controllable. If all of this makes any sense. So. No, it does. It absolutely does. It echoes, you know, some of the advice of some of the other folks I've spoken to on this podcast. And it, it actually, interestingly enough, I'm going to show my nerdy side right now. Um, in preparation for this podcast, I've, I've done a lot of reading, academic reading on resilience, people who study resilience uh, for a living. And, um, you know, that is one of the sort of hallmarks of people who are resilient is sort of, you know, when they're trying to b bounce back from difficult experiences, one of the key things 
is, um, you know, focusing on what they can control and, and kind of how one conceptualizes a difficult experience um, actually has a lot to do with their ability to bounce back. Um, and yeah. I think this kind of gets to that point, which is, you know, you, you can't get overwhelmed by the things that you cannot control because that puts you in a sort of dark place um, yeah. where you have no efficacy, right? But if yes. you, you know, say to yourself, you know, I can imagine a younger uh, justice here saying, well, okay, I got two kids I got to feed. I got, you know, I got a new household I got to deal with. I have this thriving career and I want to continue to thrive. Let me just focus on work. Let me focus on this. Let me make sure my kids are happy um, and everything else. I, I just can't, I can't control. I'd, I'd imagine that was kind of running through your head um, at that time after you did the, you know, initial grieving process. Yes, that's correct. Yeah. I mean, and, oh, go ahead. No, I'm just saying, and then, you know, I, I had other people I had to be concerned about. So, uh, and, and, and by the way, don't, and I know you're not, I'm just throwing this at, uh, wellness is important. So uh, it was at, at, at my divorce or at the dissolution of my first marriage that I really started taking more time to, take care of myself as opposed to just going at it like you know you know just work 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 going at it full steam take, taking a breather uh doing what works for me to feel better about myself i don't meditate uh and do some of the other things like my husband does but i do use massage therapy i i read a lot of of books like apparently you do. Um, that's my nerdy side coming out. And I really, I talk to people and I try to keep a tight network of friends and family. Um, yeah, yeah, definitely. The social, social help, you know, having a network of people that you can rely on to be your honest um, self, which is another um, resiliency thing. You actually anticipated my next question. Um, Justice Sears, I was, you know, going to say to you, you know, at, at what point in this sort of work, 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 provide for the kids, make sure all the trains are running on time, do you sort of carve out time for yourself? But it sounds like you you figured that out and it, and it comes in a form of massage and having, you know, friends to talk to and doing reading, you know, carving out time to be with your own mind and 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 read and contemplate and think um, because you know if you're just going 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 all the time sometimes you don't get a moment to really think about how do I feel like how, what am what am I feeling like right now and um, you know lawyers are the worst in this regard yeah. the billable hour requirement uh, is not kind when it comes to um, you know the care of oneself. Um, that's the, not the message that we get, um, you know, in, in lawyer land. So, um, I know, I think it's great that you figured that out in an early age. You know, one other thing that the, that the academics, the ones who study resilience for a living say is that resiliency is not per se innate. I mean, there may be some genetic components to it, right? In terms of whether someone is, um, prone to resiliency versus not prone to resiliency, but that most resilience is in fact learned, um, is what the literature says. And that if someone has a very difficult later in life experience, whether that be illness or divorce or a firing or whatever, um, right. that 
typically those who bounce back from that, you know, and don't turn to, you know, substance abuse or deep depression or other things, um, the, the reason they do it is because they saw resilience in their formative years, or they experienced lessons in resilience in their formative years, or they learned from watching someone else be resilient. Um, and so my next question for you is, you know, where does your resilience come from? I think uh, going to the research that you've done is uh, doing a lot of hard work. I don't think I have the natural DNA resilience. Maybe I do. I, I don't know. I do think I have the natural DNA uh, to find out how to make things work. And uh, I, I could tell I wasn't, didn't have what I needed. To have and so I decided to work on it, and I I work I worked on it my entire life because I could I I I knew I know it was just very important to me. It was very important to my uh, you know to be able to get along in life. So I've all I've always been. Uh, I know I'm very self-reflective, uh, uh, maybe uh, too self-critical. And I didn't want that to kill me, so I've always been uh, working, working, working. You have to do the hard work to get the resilience muscles going um, so yeah, that you yeah. know where to put things where, you know, this is important, but this is not so important. That doesn't come so easy to me. You know, too many yeah, things yeah. are all important. And the other thing I've been working on the last couple of years, uh, Rebecca, is learning how to say no. Just know, mm. uh, yes. as, a, as a woman, I do, and I do think this is a, a woman's thing. Uh, you know, people ask you to do all kinds of things. Just you know, they'll yes. say, "Oh, I'm so sorry. I know you're overworked, but would you do this for me? Would you be on this? Would you do this? Do that?" And I, you know, I, I won't. Somebody told me once they'll jump on you, ride you, and then when you break down, they'll people will just jump on the next. Uh, horse and ride that. And so I right. really had to say, yeah, just no, I can't. No, I won't. No, I will. You know, uh, not no to everything, but no to things that, uh, you know, is, are, you know, where, where you're just at the, at your, at the uh, end of it in terms of I've had too much on my plate and I can't take much more uh, and, and be healthy. So, yeah. Yeah, that that is a good point, and it's um, you know, there's been some work done, uh, sort of research about um, the legal industry, the legal community, and law firms specifically, and how minoritized younger associates, um, as they're sort of coming up before they make partner, and even after they make partner, and let's be honest about this, um, are often asked. Uh, you know, in these large systems where that's, you know, a university or a law firm, uh, because there aren't as many of them, um, you know, whether that be black associates or LGBTQ associates, um, right. are often asked to do what I'm going to call like service work, where it's, it's, it's work that's important, whether that's, you know, like recruiting, right, other uh, minoritized associates, whether it's being on a panel, whether it's like may, maybe in being involved in, in some of the um, 
attracting of clients, kind of, you know, this sort of dog and pony show that happens um, when you're going to a first-time client. Um, and they're pulled in on this stuff, right, which is, again, important. I don't want to kind of downplay the importance of this kind of thing, but it's not the work that's valued and rewarded in a law firm, right? Making rain is what is what is rewarded uh, in large part in a law firm. And right. I'm wondering, you know, what your advice might be to someone who's young, you know, on the younger side of their career, you know, they're a second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth associate in big law or small law, and they're being asked in addition to billing the hours and doing all the other things that are required of their job, they're learning, they're doing, you know, they're billing, um, but they're also being asked to be sort of pulled in all these other directions, um, which again is important work, but there's gotta be this, I, I, this struggle, and I, and I hear from associates all the time about this struggle, about how to make it all happen. There's only so much time in the day. Um, what advice would you have for them as they're trying to sort of navigate navigate this this push and pull? Well, okay, that's an excellent question because that does happen in law firms, and I think uh, firms need to either uh, monetize the uh, very very important work that doesn't that isn't sort of the metric. You know, the billable hour type thing. It, it's valuable, but it doesn't show up on your uh, your 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 uh, metrics, your 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 list of, of, of values. You know, it's it's maybe off to the side as non-billable kind of work or not even listed at all. So that right. firms, yeah, firms have to either begin to monetize it. Or, or if they don't, and most don't, they just give lip service to it. Uh, don't do it, or do do enough to to be a good firm citizen, but you can't let it take over your life. And I I see it mainly of women uh, who yeah. are more than happy to, you know, it's like the women do generally lick the envelopes and uh, stuff the envelopes and all that kind of stuff, but they're not out front getting the accolades. They're not the they're not the candidate. They're not they're not out front. They're they're asked to do the very important work of, of the groundwork, but not not but they're not paid to for, for that. I mean just even yeah. to the women that work in the home. Uh, they, yeah. they do extremely important work, uh, but they don't they're not paid for it. Now I'm not suggesting right. that they should be. But uh, it's not as valued as the guys who work outside the home. I see this in law firms all the time with more women working on recruiting and mentoring and all this taking up tons of your time that they're just not going to get paid for. That's right. You That's know? right. So you've got yeah. to, if you're not paid for it, uh, I would limit it until they yes. pay you for it. Yes. And it sounds like, you know, you're saying too, like, you know, prioritize maybe what's important to you or what, again, you will be valued for. And you got to sort of push back. You got to learn how to push back on, yes. on, on, the, on the rest of that, um, and even at a junior, junior level, um, for, for sure. Um, I mean, one thing, some of this, oh, though, 
Rebecca, because I, I mean, I, I'm in the same category. I get a lot of, uh, I do a, uh, a rainmaker and I do billable hours, but I'm asked to do a lot of, of uh, work that is valuable just to me personally, but I also think it's valuable for the firm I'm with. I, I do feel I'm compensated for it, uh, but I, but uh, yeah, I do a lot of it because I think it helps my quote brand. You know, it's helpful to me personally. But I also yeah, think yeah. it's helpful to the law. It's like even doing this. You know, I think it's helpful uh, that you have a partner from Smith Campbell Russell sitting down with you. And I don't think it'll hurt the, the firm. I think it'll be, be good for them. Yeah, and I and I definitely think your knowledge, <laughs> um, and 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 the fact that you know, quite frankly, they, there's some things that change over time, and there's some things, unfortunately, that have not. And you know, this push and pull for both minoritized and female attorneys, some of whom are minoritized and female, um, you know, it, it, this is a, the, 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 till the end of time. I hate to say it. I, I w wish that things would change, and I think they slowly are. Um, but, you know, this sort of old school rubric of really focusing on rainmaking, um, you know, it, 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 it can be detrimental to folks that really don't understand either how law firms work and what they prioritize, or again, for folks who have just a difficult time saying, saying no, um, right. and it sounds like you're saying, learn that lesson earlier than I did. Yes. <laughs> learn how to put it back sooner, sooner. Um, it, it will help, uh, you know, with a world of stress and anxiety and, um, you know, physical health, physical health and finding time to do the things that, that, that truly matter. Right. Um, I did want to go sort of backwards a little bit um, in our discussion. Um, just, you know, you sort of, again, alluded to the bias, uh, whether that was because you're female or because you're black over the course of your long and storied and very impressive career. Um, and, you know, in 2004, and this is public knowledge that, you know, your reelection to the Georgia Supreme Court, it, it, what is typically a nonpartisan thing was contested by the Georgia Republican Party and the Georgia Christian Coalition. And, you know, they worked really hard um, to defeat you back in 2004, but you, you know, killed it. <laughs> you won that election right. with 64% of the vote. And I'm wondering, you know, what that experience was like for you. You're at the pinnacle of your career. You're one of the youngest Supreme Court justices, state Supreme Court justices in the country. Um, you know, what you've done and what you've accomplished is it's like unheralded at that time. I mean, it's like unprecedented and incredibly impressive and a testament to your hard work and your brilliance um, and your knowledge of the law. And then this happens. And I'm, I'm just curious, you know, kind of what was going through your mind at that time was, and how you sort of conceptualized what was happening. It was, uh, I got it, had gotten a call from a friend uh, that, uh, this is when I first found out that the Republican Party and the governor of the state, Sonny Perdue at the time, uh, were angry with me. It was it, much, much of it had to do with a, a decision that the court had come down with uh, earlier, a uh, year or so earlier. And uh, there was this guy named Roy Moore. He was a, uh, 
former judge out of uh, Alabama who uh, tried kept putting the Ten Commandments in front of the Alabama Supreme Court building. He was ultimately ran for Senate uh, and lost a racist guy. And then he came to the Christian Coalition in Georgia. And I got this message that, you know, they're they're at the Christian Coalition meeting. And they're saying they they are going to mount this effort to defeat you. You are don't have quote Georgia values in large part because of my views, uh, my written views on the court on LGBTQ uh, rights, which were a little more progressive than I mean they're mainstream now. But at the time, I, I was uh, I was really I guess viewed very differently, very left wing. Uh, again, they're mainstream views now. So right. um, I, I, it, I was surreal, like, you know, young woman, I'm like, the governor is trying to defeat me. This is unbelievable. But what you do yeah. is you just put your head down and keep running and keep working because nobody can outwork me, I'll tell you that. So uh, it was surreal. I believe that. Yeah, no, it was surreal, but you just do it. And uh, in the end, I did win. And, uh, you know, I, I've had, uh, uh, Rebecca, a great life and a great uh, career. And if I hadn't had those things happen to me, I wouldn't have a professor, uh, Rebecca Davis out of uh, Georgia Southern, decided to write a book about me because of all that. And, uh, you know, I get opportunities to speak to this, you, Rebecca. And uh, I just had had a wonderful, wonderful career based in large part on the mountains I've had put in front of me that I've had to climb. So, you know, success, uh, somebody said this, I didn't make it up, but success comes from failures, not from other success. So, you know, having to climb all those mountains actually was the, a good thing, although I'll tell you at the time it didn't feel like that then. So, no, no, but, but, but no. looking back, I mean, looking back, and, and I'm thinking about this maybe for the first time just in talking with you. Uh, wow, it was probably the best, some of the best things that ever happened. Success is really not about how many times you fall, but how many times you get up. Um, and you know, you, you sort of keep taking the hits and right. and persevere and you become stronger um, um, for it. Um, I was curious, I, I, I know that you um, are a faithful person and, um, you know, I, I'm curious, you know, how, um, you know, I'm asking you off the cuff for the first time about this. Uh, we didn't talk about this in our prior discussion, but I'm, sure. I'm wondering um, how your faith may have bolstered you, um, you know, over the course of the years. I'm particularly sort of thinking about this case that you alluded to. Um, you know, I was a young attorney kind of watching on the sidelines. I, um, we talked about this before I was in the closet <laughs> at the time when I first started practicing in my career. And I remember just being so happy because <laughs> you had made a sort of a stand um, about, you know, your thoughts about LGBTQ rights. Um, and it felt very like gratified because way back in 2004, um, it, it, it wasn't okay and it wasn't as mainstream um, to be supportive of LGBTQ marriage. It wasn't legal in Georgia at the time. It subsequently has become legal. We were sort of grandfathered in, but 
Um, I'm just sort of interested in the role that your faith may have sort of taken, uh, you know, in, in your ability to bounce back from these from these difficulties. Well, it plays a heavy, heavy. Uh, I mean, it's extremely important to me, you know, that, that I know that God walk, walks beside me and everything I do and I try very hard. I don't always make it, but I try very hard to be his mouthpiece on this earth. I want to do uh, what he would want me to do, uh, you know, to, to make him proud of what I'm doing. Uh, in terms of talking about, I mean, going to the LGBTQ um, issues, but let, that's another example, Rebecca, of if, if, if I had not been born black and female and suffered as I had growing up, I would not be, I, I wouldn't know, I may not have been attuned to the fact that I didn't want any other group to have to suffer like that. And so I think that my suffering informed that, oh, I'm very sure that that informed uh, my uh, position on, on those kinds of things. So you see, it can, it's almost like God gave you, gave me stuff to teach me. So yeah. I'm sure yeah. to teach yeah. me. Yeah, absolutely. Would, yeah, so I would like, it's not just for me, it's got to be for everybody. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think, I think, you know, whether you are, you know, subscribe to a particular faith or one considers themselves as I do more spiritual um, in nature. You know, I'm, I'm Jewish, but I, I wouldn't say that I'm particularly religious and more spiritual. But the universe is kind of teaching us lessons all the time. Yes. And I feel like you got to be listening to the, you know, if you got to sort of quiet yourself and quiet your brain and sort of pay attention um, because there's lessons everywhere. And, and I think it's, um, you know, sort of profound what you said about, you know, if, if God had it made me who I am and it had me come in the body and the form in which I am here on this earth, I probably wouldn't have understood um, yeah. a flight of LGBTQ um, Georgians and, and, and you applied that knowledge. And, you know, I think that's admirable. And I think, yeah. I think it makes well, I don't want to keep you. I, we, I, I sincerely appreciate your time, and I wanted. To, I have a final question for you um, that sort of uh, applies to what's happening these days. Um, you know, this the past twelve months. Some people it's been eighteen months. Uh, you know, has has been quite difficult for a lot of people, but especially young newly minted attorneys. Um, many of them have been furloughed, laid off, had pay cuts, uncertainty about their careers and personal lives. And many of them, especially the super young ones, the millennials and the Gen Xers, um, I'm sorry, Zers, were too young to be impacted by the Great Recession, um, at least directly. You know, maybe their parents were, but um, most of them were not in the workforce at that point in time. Um, and so they don't necessarily have a point of reference for what they're experiencing, particularly, you know, lawyers are type A go-getters. Most of them have had no problems, like you alluded to, you know, academically and are just yeah. excelling classes. And then all of a sudden, bam, life sort of punches them in the face. <laughs> um, and I was wondering, you know, what sort of advice you would give to these young lawyers, um, you know, particularly ones that are sort of questioning their career choice, um, you know, what, what, would, what advice would you have? 
and what resources would you point them to um, to kind of steal themselves and, and figure out how to how to carry on? The advice uh, I would have is that the, the persistence is the key and life is cyclical and what goes up must come down and all of that. And it this too will pass. Uh, it really yeah. will. And, and it will be, we, I think we will have learned a lot from this bad period of racial reckoning and pandemic and uh, violence and all of this stuff. Uh, I hope that we will have learned a lot from it and we will go forward stronger. That's my, that's my hope. And you've got to take the best out of it because there's a lot of good stuff that will come out. Even the technology, just a simple, well, it's not that simple to me, but even the way we move forward in terms of technology and and uh, I've learned a lot of how to get things done faster, easier than what what I was doing a year ago. So, uh, uh, resources. My biggest resource is uh, uh, I read a lot of. I like, believe it or not, I read a lot of. Uh, and don't laugh at me, but I like Doctor Seuss, who kind of has a. Uh, uh, and, and other children's books, like the little engine that could is, is probably my favorite. You just think you can, you think you can, you think you can, you think, can you get your muscles going? Uh, yes. You know, yes. And, and at some point, it just is automatic. You've got, but you've got to work on it. We were talking about. I think these are great lessons. I mean, this reminder that this too shall pass and life is cyclical. And those of us who are a little bit longer in the tooth, you know, saw this situation it wasn't exactly the same but you know the great recession and people yeah. have been practicing it longer have seen economic um you know problems in the past few and and you learn lessons from it each time and it sort of seals you and and you get stronger because of it well thank you so much again um mm. justice for your time and your honesty and your forthrightness i knew that um the young attorneys who are going to have the opportunity to listen to this podcast are going to learn a lot from your advice and I, I really appreciate your time today. Thank you for listening to Bouncing Back, Resilience for Lawyers. Join us next time for another story about thriving after overcoming challenges. You can find Bouncing Back and other programming for lawyers on MLA's Legal Talk Network.